0: Well, we started our new series on mission from the story of Nehemiah. And if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter two. Make some noise in the house. And go ahead to verse 10, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10. And I wanna just tell you something. The story of Nehemiah is a story that I think touches every part of our life. This guy was living in a palace. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was a prisoner of war. He was in captivity under the Persian empire. Nehemiah, he was a Jew, and he heard about his Jewish brothers and sisters outside of the Persian Empire that were suffering. They were going through tough times, things were bad, their walls had been broken down, their gates were burned, and they had lost all hope. And when Nehemiah heard about it, he just started weeping, he started praying, he started fasting, and he felt like God dropped a a burden on his heart for the people. And that God was giving him a vision to go and help those people that were hurting. And and so he had to go and stand in front of the king, the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, the same king that's mentioned in the book of Esther. And the story of Nehemiah is a trilogy connected to Esther and Ezra. And uh, so Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes, he asks permission, he says, can I go and help the people? And, And King says, why do you care about these people? And Nehemiah says, that's where my father was buried. That's where my grandfather was buried. That's where my brothers and sisters, they live there. And it's hopeless. And I'm just asking permission. And so the king gives him permission. And as soon as Nehemiah starts to head on that journey towards Jerusalem, and it was an 800-mile journey from the Persian Empire to Jerusalem, as soon as he starts heading there, we get to verse 10. And it says, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, heard about Nehemiah moving towards Jerusalem, they were deeply Disturbed. Everybody say, disturbed. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. I wanna talk to you today about disturbing the disturber. Disturbing the disturber. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, God, on our calling to disturb the disturber. God, that we would rise up with faith and, and Lord, that we would overcome fear and discouragement and hopelessness and chaos, and God, that we would be the answer to the problem in our generation. God, I thank you in Jesus' name that today there'd be healing, salvation, freedom, God, and Lord, that we would leave today encouraged, revived, and ready, Lord, to disturb the disturber. In Jesus' name, everybody said. How many guys got kids in the room? Anybody got kids still in your house, toddlers? Babies, me and my wife, my wife and I, we have a three-year-old and a two-year-old, and uh, both boys, and they love to disturb each other. The word disturb means to interrupt, to disrupt the peace, to throw somebody's groove off, to make somebody frustrated, right? And so Liam, our oldest son, he loves to mess with Benaiah. He's he's kind of the older brother, and and he'll he'll love on Benaiah, but some days he'll just mess with Benaiah. He'll just walk up and push Benaiah down and take his toys. And so we'll have to separate them, put one in time out, discipline one. Well, this last week, we took both of them to the bagel shop. And Benaiah had had enough of Liam's disturbance. I mean, Liam was being a disturber, and Benaiah was about to wage war on the disturber. (laughs) So Liam is an orderly kid. I mean, he loves things to be neat. He has 10 napkins at every meal, and he never likes to get messy. So he's got his bagel, his knife, he's taking the cream cheese, putting it on the bagel, wiping his fingers with the napkin. He brought his toy train with him to the bagel shop, so his toy train's right there. Beniah on the other hand he is a messy eater. So Beniah's got his fingers in the cream cheese, spreading it on his face. He's getting it on his hands and he's like, "Ah! is a crazy eater." And uh is looking at Liam and he, you know what he's thinking. Liam's over there being neat, nice, taking the knife on the bagel and Benaiah just, junk, just throws himself on Liam and spreads cream cheese on his face, takes Liam's train, puts cream cheese on the train, and Liam just starts screaming, No! He's ruining everything! Cream cheese on my tray! He messed up my tray with cream cheese! And you know, he's screaming and everybody's looking at us. People knew we were pastors. They were like preacher's kids. I'm sorry, we're not perfect, <laughs> so I had to separate them. Ash and I, we were trying to you know, fix the situation, but Beniah was disturbing the disturber. Everybody say, disturb the disturber. See, what Nehemiah in the Bible was doing here was he was disturbing the disturber. He was messing with the territory that the devil thought he occupied. Can I tell you what the devil hates to lose? The devil hates to lose control. Number one, the devil hates to lose control over a city, control over a marriage, control over a man's mind, control over a little boy, control over a little girl, control in a family, control. See, the devil loves to control. He loves to contain. He loves to conform you. He wants you to stay in a box. He wants you to stay in that addiction. He wants you to stay in that bad habit. When you start breaking the control of the devil, you start disturbing the disturber. You start wreaking havoc on the powers of hell. When you start renewing your mind and breaking out of that addiction of pornography, you start disturbing the disturber. Secondly, the devil hates to lose territory. Territory. When you start going into places that the devil doesn't want you going into, you start taking back territory. Nehemiah was headed to Jerusalem. Did you know Sanballat and Tobiah, they were profiting off of the poverty of the people of Jerusalem? The reason why they were so frustrated that Nehemiah was going to to take back the territory, rebuild the wall, is because they were gonna lose business. Man, when you start messing with money, the devil gets angry. When you start taking the wealth of the wicked to fund the mission of the righteous, you start disturbing the disturber, troubling the troubler. You can see it in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas start casting out demons, when they start turning cities upside down, immediately the money guys get upset. You're messing with our money. You're messing with our territory. Those people belong to us. But I'm so thankful that our God came to take back the territory that rightfully belonged to the children of God. The devil hates to lose control. He hates to lose territory. Number three, he hates to lose the atmosphere. If you take the land, he wants to keep the air. He's called the prince of the air. There is a spiritual battle going on even right now in this room, going on in the city in North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East Tulsa, West Tulsa. If you take the territory of downtown, this is why I get excited about victory campuses launching in new territory. And the devil says, okay, fine, you won the territory, but I'm gonna hold the atmosphere. The atmosphere represents the the vibes, the praise, the volume, the, the, the impact, the influence, the morale, the momentum of a place. But I wanna tell the devil today, that we are taking back the atmosphere in Tulsa, in Houston, in Florida, in New York City, in the nations of the world. Come on, give God some praise today. Take back the atmosphere. The devil hates it when the church gets loud, when the church breaks out of the box, when the church starts taking territory. I came today to make the devil angry. Come on, who wants to make the devil mad today? Who wants to make the devil pay for the trouble he's put you through? I'm not comfortable being controlled by the devil. I'm not comfortable letting the devil take territory from my marriage, from my life, from my family, from this city, not on my watch. This is what Nehemiah was saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. We're not gonna stay defeated. We're not gonna stay down. And when they saw the man get involved to help Israel, that's when they were disturbed, when they saw him move towards it. The devil's okay if you talk about it, but when you start acting on it, when you start taking it out of church and actually applying it in your apartment, in your house, in your dorm room, in your marriage, in your family, all of a sudden you start disturbing the disturber. How did Nehemiah disturb the disturber? I think we first see in verse six, the king said, how long is it going to take you to accomplish this task? And Nehemiah set a time, and when he set a time, it pleased the king. You know, one of the greatest things about Nehemiah was that he was a forecaster. Leaders are forecasters. They, they declare our best days are right in front of us. They declare something good is going to happen. You're gonna do great things. You're gonna accomplish your dreams and the devil can't stop you. See, we've been given a prophetic voice in the Bible. When you read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, all of a sudden you start getting that prophetic voice in your life. God's called you to declare a thing. We see in Hebrews that you cannot please God without faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We understand that the universe was created at the spot. Spoken word of God. I believe, therefore I speak. Somebody speak it into existence today. Say, things are getting better in my life. Say, my best days are in front of me. Say, I got the victory. victory. In Jesus' name. How many of you need to see some victory in the future? How many are believing for a miracle, a breakthrough? Nehemiah was declaring, not only was he declaring it was going to happen, he put a set date on it. He said it's gonna happen in 52 days. That was audacious, that was audacious. He hadn't even seen the wall yet. Nehemiah was an activator and I like that because when I took the strengths test, I scored as an activator. So I like to give myself some props when I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, I can relate to this guy. Come on, how many of y'all like to give yourself some props when you read the Bible? You're like, I can relate to David, to Nehemiah, to Abraham, to Joshua. I think God wants us to read the Bible and to see ourselves in the Bible. And uh, Nehemiah, he took action. Sometimes you just gotta take action. You just gotta declare it's going to happen, and it's gonna happen this year. It's gonna happen before Christmas. Come on, somebody. I'm speaking to someone in the room that needs to see something happen before Christmas. Now watch this, watch this. As soon as he declares it, and the king gives him favor, and by the way, it says in verse uh, six that the queen was sitting next to the king. It seems like men are so much more nicer when their wife is right next to them. (laughs) They're a little more generous when their wife is sitting next to them. So the king, you know, he's next to the queen, he's wanting to impress his woman, and he says, yeah, I'll give him favor. I'll let Nehemiah do what he wants to do, and when Nehemiah realizes the woman's in the room, he's gonna ask for a little bit more. And he says this, he says, not only am I asking for permission, in verse 7, he says, I want you to give me access to every territory that I walk through. And then he says in verse 8, not only access through all the territories, but I want timber, I want beams, I want everything in the king's forest to help me rebuild the walls, the gates, the citadel, the temple. I need your help. He asked for protection, he asked for provision. Everybody say, ask for more. And look what happens in verse 8 the king granted him what he asked, because the favor of God was on him. Somebody say favor ain't fair. You wanna disturb the disturber? Just remind the devil you got the favor of God and hell can't stop what heaven's got its hand on. See, when you follow God's plan, you get God's hand. But if you're just seeking God's hand and you won't submit to God's plan, you're gonna miss out on the mission. So many people want the blessing without being submitted. They want all the benefits from God, but they won't actually obey God's word. Nehemiah was obeying God's word and he had God's provision. Where God guides, he provides. Where God directs, he protects. So Nehemiah was following in this. And by the way, Nehemiah had the audacity to ask. That disturbs the disturber. There's a story about this golfer who was invited by the king of Saudi Arabia to go on a golfing trip, three-day golfing trip. The the king flew him out, true story, on his private jet. And at the end of the three days of golfing, the king said, I'm going to give you anything you want. You name it, I want to give you a gift for coming. The golfer said, man, it was a gift that I even got to golf. I love golfing. You let me do what I love doing. And the king said, no, I want to give you something. I want to bless you. What do you collect? Maybe I'll, I'll add to one of your collections. And the golfer said, I collect golf clubs. If you want to give me something, you can give me a golf club. So the king said, All right. And a month or two later, the golfer still hadn't gotten anything. He was imagining what he was going to get from the king. Maybe it was going to be a golf club that was golden with diamond studs on it or something, you know, something spectacular. And finally, in the mail, this letter came from the king of Saudi Arabia. When he opened it up, It was a 500 acre deed to a golf club on premier land in the United States because kings think on a higher level than everybody else. And you serve the king of kings. And he's saying, ask me. See, Nehemiah wasn't asking for more so that he could have a big house, drive a nice car, look really awesome. He was asking for more so he could be a greater blessing to those that were hurting. How can we bless others if we aren't blessed? It boggles my mind when Christians say, God doesn't want you to be blessed. He does not want you to be blessed. What Bible are you reading? How do you think the church was able to help the widows and the orphans and start more churches and build Bible schools and plant hospitals and plant orphanages and plant more churches because there was a blessing on the church and hell couldn't stop the blessing. The favor of God was so strong. You know God's favor wants to get on your house. Not so that you can have a big house and a nice car, but so that you can be a blessing to those that are in need. How were we able to help those that were affected by Hurricane Harvey? or Hurricane Irma because we are blessed to be a blessing. People in this church recognize there's a blessing of God on believers. And when you walk in that blessing, when you dare to believe, when you're audacious like Nehemiah and you call out to God, God bless me. Oh Lord, extend my territory. Enlarge my influence. Lord, grow my business so I can help more people. There's this true story about Napoleon Bonaparte, when he was conquering nations and islands centuries ago, he went to go and visit one of the areas where he had conquered and he was shaking hands with some of the lower level troops and soldiers. And right behind him was the commander of these troops and soldiers, making sure that none of them said or did anything weird. Napoleon's shaking hands and he gets to this one guy and the guy grabs Napoleon and he says, may I have the island of Malta? The commander behind Napoleon was furious. I can't believe he just asked for an entire island. Napoleon looked at him and he said, granted, Malta is yours. And the commander was confused. He said, why did you just give one of these low-level soldiers an entire island? Napoleon said, because he had the audacity to ask me for it. He had the audacity to ask me for it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Are we praying prayers that we can answer ourselves or are we praying prayers that invite the supernatural hand of God where God shows up above and beyond? I'm asking God for the nations. David wrote it in Psalms, ask me for the nations, ask me for the islands. We're living in a day where we are winning entire nations to Jesus in one day, in one week. Our church has been part of this. I'm asking God for the city of Tulsa, north, south, east and west, for the state of Oklahoma, for the United States of America to know Jesus. Satan, get your hands off this nation. I think God's looking for a church that wants to disturb the disturber. So then Nehemiah goes in verse 11 and he looks at Jerusalem and he says, I was there for three days. In verse 12, I went in the middle of the night and I took only a few people with me, my inner circle. Be careful who you take with you. Nehemiah didn't tell everyone at first. He didn't tell everyone the whole dream. He just had a core team and they walked through the broken areas. They begin to inspect every part of the gate. See, Nehemiah wanted to get the big picture. He wanted to know all the angles. So often we make decisions based on one side of the story. Have you ever made a decision on on one side of the story and then later you hear the other side of the story and you regret the decision you made? (laughs) I've been there before too. I make bad decisions when I have no information or when I have just limited information. I make great decisions when I get the whole big picture. Every side. Nehemiah was looking at every side, every gate, every part of the wall he was inspecting. Because inspection brings direction. Inspection brings direction. What decision are you about to make that you need to give a little more inspection to before you start moving on that decision? inspection will bring direction. So Nehemiah gets the dream. He goes in the middle of the night. He, he gets the strategy, and night after night, in the dark, he develops his vision. And he was making sure that it was all correct. He was hearing from God. I imagine Nehemiah was looking at the wall. He was praying as he was looking. He was imagining what was possible. Instead of seeing the problem, he was seeing the potential. And he was getting that vision. I think it's so important not to take something out of the oven until it's ready. Have you ever pulled a pizza out of the oven before it's time, and the dough in the middle is just nasty, and you gotta put it back in the oven, and then you mess it all up? Everybody say, keep it in the oven. 400 degrees, 22 minutes, let it cook. Come on, chocolate chip cookie makers, you know. 11 minutes, Pillsbury, 375 degrees. Keep it in the oven. Don't pull it out till it's ready. You gotta wait till it's ready. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah knew it's ready, it's ready, it's ready. There's times where it needs to keep on cooking. But then when you know it's ready, it's time to walk with courage. So Nehemiah, in verse 17, gets in front of the people. And remember, this is a memoir, this is a journal. Nehemiah says, I got up that day in front of the people. And I said, you see the distress, you see the trouble that we're in. So Nehemiah was facing the facts because faith won't fix what you won't face. So he's saying, listen, we're in trouble, things look bad, you can see it, there's problems everywhere, but I see revival. I see restoration. I say, let's rise up and build. Let's cast off all the reproach, all the shame. And then Nehemiah said in verse 18, I told the people that day, that God's hand had been upon me, that the king himself had stamped his approval with me. See, there's power when you start adding the other people that have been a part of this decision. Nehemiah knew how to get people persuaded, how to get them to buy in. He was saying, this isn't Nehemiah's idea, this is God's idea, and guess what? God's gonna use the wealth of the wicked to fund the mission of the righteous. The king sent the timber, God's in this. There's lots of people that wanna be a part of this, and as soon as he said it, the people's hearts connected with Nehemiah's heart. He was casting the vision. Everybody say cast the vision. cast the vision. Notice that Nehemiah didn't say, "You messed up. You you lost it all. You're going to have to rebuild this," he said, "We're in trouble, but we can rebuild." He used words like we, us, our. When we move from you, me, mine, his, theirs to us, ours, teamwork makes the dream work and people, people don't mind the heat when they see you sweat. Nehemiah was saying, I'm gonna get in this with you. We're gonna work together, and we're gonna see this city rebuilt. Nehemiah didn't have any extrinsic motivation. He didn't say, hey listen, if you work this hard, everybody's gonna get 10 Gs, and you're gonna get a seven day cruise on the Dead Sea, and I'm gonna send you to the Galilee, and to Caesarea, and you're gonna get a Christmas bonus. Now there's nothing wrong with all those great extrinsic motivational factors, but Nehemiah said, I can't pay you anything, but let me tell you what you will have, what you will get. You can work your jobs and and you'll you'll make that money. But if you work on this wall, you'll make history. And together, the identity, the reputation, our children will know that Israel didn't quit, that Israel didn't just build half the wall, that Israel shined and its latter days were greater than its former days. Nehemiah was inviting people to be a part of making history, and they rose up. They said, sure. Jesus promised his disciples in the New Testament. Notice the the correlation between Nehemiah and Jesus. Jesus didn't promise his disciples a bunch of rewards here on earth. He said, you'll get stuff here on earth, but that's not the real reward. The real reward is in heaven. If you follow me, if you come after me, whatever you sacrifice here on earth cannot even compare to the glory that awaits you in heaven. Your best days are in front of you, my friend. No matter what you've walked through, no matter what you've been through, things are about to get better. on somebody. Now look at this. It says, as soon as they decided to rebuild, guess who was back in their face again? The disturbers. We get to verse 19. When Sanballat and Tobiah heard about Nehemiah and all the Israelites gathering together to rebuild, they started laughing. They started to mock us and they despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing. This is what the devil loves to do. And in, in the book of Revelation, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse you. What do you think you're doing? You're too young to be doing this. You're unqualified. You don't even have a degree to do this. You know what you've walked through in your past. You know, you know how bad you've missed it. The devil loves to throw condemnation at you, shame. You know the secrets and the sins you've committed, the things you've done. You can't work on that wall. And then look at what you know, Sandbout and Tobias say again. They say, not only why are you doing this, but they say, you're gonna get in trouble for doing this. That's the religious spirit, right? As soon as you start to break out of the box and, and do things you've never done or become someone that you've never been before to be who God's called you to be, that religious spirit tries to conform you back. You're gonna get in trouble for this. What, what do you think you're doing trying to break out of the box and trying to take territory You know, the people that were disturbed the most in the New Testament by Jesus weren't the sinners. It was the religious people. I know I'm going to get disturbed by the disturber, but I'm surprised when I get disturbed by the insiders. Sanballat and Tobiah, they were supposed to be a part of this. And yet here they were trying to oppose it, angry about it, frustrated. That the work was happening. That people's morale, the atmosphere was changing. Territory was coming back to the Jews. The wall was being rebuilt. Control was being broken. Oh, the devil hates to lose control. I love it. (laughs) Nehemiah looks at these critics and he says, listen. The God of heaven himself, in verse 20. God himself is with us. Oh, and he's going to prosper us. You just wait and see. His blessing is all over this house. And the church will arise. The servants will rise up and we will build. But you, my friends, will have no heritage, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. Come on. Nehemiah was talking back to the disturbers. He was disturbing the disturbers. He was, uh, he was bringing it back to those accusers that were coming at him. And no one had done that in Israel. So all of a sudden, the hearts of the children of Israel, they're being encouraged just by the fact that Nehemiah is talking back to the disturber. That Nehemiah is speaking back to the giant. If you don't talk to your mountains, your mountains will talk to you. If you don't start talking to those voices, that chatterbox of accusation. There's times in, in, in my house where I'll just turn on the worship music and just start praising God and take back the atmosphere. There's times where I start hearing that chatterbox in my mind, in my heart, you're unqualified, you're unworthy, you're inadequate, and immediately I just got to start talking back to that voice of the accuser no no i'm a child of god i'm anointed i got the helmet of salvation the mind of christ i got the breastplate of righteousness i'm the righteousness of god in christ jesus i got the belt of truth i got the shoes that are shod with the gospel of peace i got the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit see god's looking for people who will talk back to the disturber don't let the disturber steal your praise don't let the disturber steal your shout The disturber wants to silence the church in America. Just go sit in a corner. Don't get involved in anything. Just stick to what you're doing over there, but God's called the church to invade and influence every part of our universe. God's called you to get involved in your company. See, Satan's okay with you shouting on Sunday, but when you start witnessing on Monday and leading people to Christ on Wednesday, and you start taking your family back to church on Wednesday night, and you start leading your marriage into a revival, all of a sudden Satan's getting angry. You're disturbing the disturber. In chapter three, it says Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the gate. Wait a minute, priest? We're building gates? That'd be like me and Ashley getting our hammers out and trying to work on this wall over here and getting ladders and trying to paint and stuff. Y'all would be like, wait, wait, you, you're pastors. You're not good at painting. <laughs> you just leave the hammers to those that know how to use it. But in this story, in chapter three, it's a crazy chapter. People who had never done things like this were stepping out of their comfort zone. Mayors. We're taking their hammers. Everybody was getting their hands dirty. You had stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, you had common people, you had wealthy people, you had all kinds of people working together to build the wall. Young and old, men and women, boys and girls, people of all kinds of backgrounds, people that were perfect and people that were imperfect. Isn't that a picture of the church? And I love how he says this, this phrase keeps appearing in chapter three next to them. And next to them was the and in verse three, and next to them was the and next in and verse four, next to them and next to them. Everybody say next to them. It's said 31 times next to them, next to them, next to them. I need some help. Will you guys step up uh, and just stand right here in front of this stage, uh, front row, second row, and I want you to stand next to each other. There's something powerful when we stand next to each other. Come on, a few more guys, a few more girls, stand next to each other. Stand next. Can I get a few more people to stand next to him? Basically what Nehemiah was saying was these families, these singles, these young people, these old people, these married people, these divorced people, they were all working together for the same. We need a few more people over here to stand next to these guys. And next to the Johnsons was the Grossos, next to the Grossos were the Dohertys, and next to the Dohertys were the Walkups, next to the Walkups were the Kings, and next to the Kings were the Smiths, and next to the Smiths were the Opops, and next to the Opops were the McIntoshs, and next to the McIntoshs were the McCutcheons, next to the McCutcheons were the Calhouns, and next to the Calhouns was the Hicks, and next to the Hicks. Come on, y'all didn't know we got the Hicks in the house. We're the McAuliffe's, and next to the McAuliffe's were the Freemans, and next to the Freemans. Everybody say next to them. Next to them, next to Paul, next to Ashley, next to Jennifer, next to Ron, next to Jessica. See, if you want to get a mention, you got to be a part of the mission. Too many people, they want the mention, but they won't join the mission. Jesus is calling us to be a part of his mission on the earth. He's saying, man, I want you. I want your family. I want you all by yourself, but I want you to get next to people. Why do we do connect groups at Victory? Because we are not called to do life alone. Why do we ask you to get involved serving? Because you are needed. Your presence matters. Your serving matters. Your worship matters. We need you, your unique personality, your gifts, your background, your age, what you've walked through. You can make a difference if you'll just let your life be used by God. You say, where? You pick the place. There's so many opportunities in this church to get involved, whether it's in children's church. Whether it's in nursery or whether it's at the Dream Center or whether it's in the hospital ministry or whether it's in the creative team or downtown or whether it is serving those in the nursing homes, I'm telling you, God wants to use you. Give these guys a big hand. There's one scripture in chapter 3 that stands out to me. I was shocked when I read it, and I I almost missed it because I thought, well, that's interesting. The whole chapter is positive, but there's one negative verse in the whole chapter. And so I read all these commentaries trying to figure out what this verse meant. It was in verse 5 of chapter 3, and every commentary said the same thing. They said the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, they almost pulled this scripture out of Nehemiah. Because the whole chapter is full of harmony, full of unity, full of everybody doing their part, everybody pulling the weight, everybody getting their hands dirty, everybody working, using their gifts to build the wall. And by the way, the wall wasn't necessarily to keep people out as much as it was to build the glory of the house of Israel. It represented something spectacular for the family of Israel. It was, it was something that, that meant something to them. It was their reputation, their identity. It was the city seeing glory again, and, and yet verse 5, it says there was this group of people that didn't get involved. It says next to them Zadok the son of Banna made repairs. Next to them the Tekoites made repairs. But the nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. They missed out on a moment in history. They missed out on disturbing the disturber. All the commentaries said the same thing. These nobles saw themselves as wealthier than the common people. And they saw that the common people had a place on the wall, but the nobles didn't have a place on the wall. There's nothing noble about these nobles. They disqualified themselves because of their pocketbooks. They disqualified themselves because of their bank accounts. I don't know what may be trying to disqualify you. Maybe it is pride, or maybe it is inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's condemnation. Maybe there's something that's trying to hold you down and hold you back. Maybe you think, Paul, I I can't be a part of what God's doing. I mean, I've kind of reached my limits. I've hit my lid. The second that we think we've graduated or that we've hit our lid, man, we we stop living, we stop being who God's called us to be. If you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. And at this church, we're all called. I'm so thankful at this church, I've never met someone that said, I've graduated serving. Everyone here says, you know what? I got a part to play, whether I'm given or greeting or praying for someone at the altar, or whether I can go to a Walk It Outreach once a year, or maybe I can help in some way, I wanna be a part of what God's doing. That's the kind of church that we're gonna be, amen? And I wanna challenge you today before I end. Take the limits off what God can do through you. Take the limits off. Nehemiah challenged these people. He said, guys, I know you're mayors. I know your stay stay-at-home moms. I know that you're your, your villagers, you're farmers. But I'm asking you to do something you've never done before. I'm asking you to be a part of building this wall and building these gates. The enemy wants to keep us in that control to say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can only do this. I was with my son Liam this last week watching Daniel the Tiger and this song came on Daniel the Tiger. You can do more than one thing. You can do more than one thing. And Daniel the Tiger was, you know, mowing the lawn. He had the hammer out. He's working on the wall. He's making breakfast for his family. How many of y'all watch Daniel the Tiger with your kids? Man, you guys need to have kids. <laughs> or get some grandkids. That's <laughs> where it's at. Liam looked at me and said, Paul, can I do he didn't say Paul? I'm his dad. He said, Dad, can I do more than one thing? I said, yes, Liam, you can do more than one thing. When I first started preaching, people said, you you can't do that. You're a worship leader. You just need to stick to playing the guitar and singing. But I knew God was calling me to preach. And then as I started preaching, there was times where I started singing. And they said, no, 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 hold on. You can't preach and sing. You can only do one thing. But as I started singing... How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, oh we'll see how great, how great is our God. When I started singing, something changed in the way that I was preaching. They said, well, fine, we'll let you sing and preach, but then I started sitting on the piano. Now, hold on, you can't do the piano too. You can only do one thing. But I'm telling you, when you start taking the limit off what God can do through you, you start recognizing gifts you never knew you had. There's no limit to what God can do through someone who says, use me, God. I'm gonna explore every gift, every possibility. I'm breaking out of my comfort zone. I even joined the dance team for a moment in the church. My brother said, now that probably don't need to do that. <laughs> so I retired from the dance team. But I'm telling you, we're in a day and age where God's saying, I want you to do more than what you're used to. I want you to step out of your comfort zone. You might think you can only do this, but God says, I've got more for you. I've got more gifts. I've got more talents. I've got more resources. I've got more opportunities. I want you to stand your feet all over this room today. God's breaking us out of the box. He's calling us to disturb the disturber. How many of you have been disturbed in the last month or two, in the last year? The enemy's tried to mess with you. Maybe a doctor's report, maybe your finances, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your health, maybe in your family. There's been, like, just this disturbance, this, the enemy's just trying to mess with you. Come on, get your hand up. Your joy. yeah wow all over this room the devil wants to try to contain who you are and what you can do he wants to control you he doesn't want you taking any territory if you've been attacked by the devil chances are you're doing something right because the anointing attracts attacks and I'm getting ready to wage war on the disturber I'm going to make him pay double for the trouble that he's putting me through I'm about to wreak havoc on the powers of hell. Man, I get excited about downtown campus. I get excited about what Jesus is doing at Victory. I get excited about this 11 a.m. service because I know we are taking back territory. We are breaking control. We are pushing the atmosphere into a higher place of faith and praise. I want you to do something right now. If you've been disturbed by the enemy, if the enemy's been messing with you in some way, and you feel just a surge today to disturb the disturber, I want you to leave your seat. Come down to this altar right now. I want us to lift up a shout of praise for the next five minutes. Can we begin to just sing this song? Come on,
1: let's worship the Lord this morning. Let's change the atmosphere.
0: when Nehemiah and all the people together it's almost like they're working to the beat come on play a little harder on those drums they don't hear the sound of the critics because they're they're moving to a different beat they don't hear the sound of the accuser because they're listening to another beat they're moving to the sound of the voice of heaven you got this you got this. So on Monday, they lay another brick. On Tuesday, they lay another brick. On Wednesday, they lay another brick. On Thursday, they lay another brick. And next to him and next to her, they work together. They take back territory next to him and next to her. They change that beat, going, Man, I'm, I'm a little wild, I think. I'm a little too wild. Does anybody else sometimes pray with a soundtrack in your head? There's times on Monday where I don't feel like doing what I know I'm supposed to do but all of a sudden I start feeling that soundtrack. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll play that song in my head. I've seen you move, you can move the mountains. I know you'll do it again. Sometimes I'll sing step by step, you lead me, the old Rich Mullen song. Sometimes I'll sing our God is an awesome God. He reigns on heaven and earth in wisdom and power on high. Our God is an awesome God. And it changes, it changes the atmosphere, it changes my attitude, it changes the way I'm, I'm approaching the day. I wanna encourage you this week to move to that sound. And when the disturber comes with those thoughts of condemnation, with those thoughts of fear, those thoughts of saying, you're inadequate, you can't do this, it's not gonna work out. All things are coming together for bad. You remind the devil, no, all things are working together for good. God's with me, God's for me. God's on my side. It's going to take work, but my God is going to help me finish this wall. It will be done. Whatever the miracle is, whatever the breakthrough is, it will come to pass. Now, I want us to do something, because when I was little, it seemed like children's church was always making louder noises than the adult service, but today, I want my kids in nursery to know that revival's happening in the adult room. I want the children's church to hear the shout of praise from the big people. So on the count of three, I want us to say the name that's above every name, the name that's above cancer, the name that's above exhaustion, the name that's above divorce, the name that's above problems, the name that's above every sickness, every disease, the name that's above sin and addiction and worry and doubt and fear. On the count of three, are you ready church? Are you ready, church? Are you ready, band, on the count of three? We're gonna shout the name of Jesus, and we're gonna shout it so loud that we feel this place start to shake. Come on, here we go. One, two. God's power there's a reign of God's mercy where there's been confusion I see just God giving clarity he's giving you direction where there's been torment God's giving you freedom he's saying you have the mind of Christ peace be still he's bringing peace to your house Where the disturber has tried to bring just a disruption to the order, to the organization, to to the peace in your house. As you've been worshiping God, as you've been listening to the Word of God, it's like God's been going into those corners in your heart and mind and He's been fixing things up. He's been disturbing the disturber. He's been waging war on the darkness. You can't fight it in the natural. You got to fight it in the spiritual. The spiritual fight is is not carnal weapons. Our weapons are, are greater than carnal weapons. It's prayer. It's worship. It's praise. It's knowing the word of God. It's meditating on the word of God. It's declaring the word of God. God's not finished with you yet. God loves you. He's for you. He's with you. You know, the most sacred symbol in the state of Oklahoma. I found this out just this year. is It's an 80 year old Elm tree in Oklahoma city. And it sits in this paved in area. The reason it's so sacred, the reason it means so much to our state is not because it's the oldest Elm tree. It's not because it's big and flourishing, but because of when it went through, it was right in front of the Murrah federal building where Timothy McVeigh pulled up in 1995 and the bomb blew up that whole building. 168 people were killed in an instant. 800 plus people wounded and ash and rubble fell on top of the whole street. Nobody thought anything about this tree. Months went by and there was just still ashes and rocks that they were still picking up, cleaning up from what had happened there. Until one day, The tree started to bud, and out of an acre of death sprung this source of life. And it started to show how beautiful this tree was that it rose from the ashes. And it's called the surviving tree, the survivor tree. Man, when I heard about that, I couldn't help but think about people in this room. You've walked through pain, you've walked through destruction, almost like what Jerusalem went through. There's been things that have happened in your life. There's been disruption, disturbance that the enemy's tried to bring and tried to tell you it's not going to get better. But man, as you look at that tree, let that picture of God's creation be a reminder that he can resurrect anything that looks dead, anything that looks impossible. He can restore. He can repair. He can rebuild. God's not done with you yet. I want us just to close our eyes in this place and say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, raising from the dead to give me life. Lord, I repent of all my sins. I receive your forgiveness, I receive your salvation. Use my life, God, to bring you glory to disturb the disturber, to move with compassion, to be a blessing to all those around me. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give God praise today. Something has shifted in the atmosphere. Something has changed today.
1: Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul dorty If you're in the area, we'd love
0: to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.